Good evening. We have a brother who just got home from a nine-month deployment from Iraq. Randy's back. Why don't you stand up? Rejoice. Father, thank you for bringing Randy home safely to his wife and children, to his home. Thank you for watching over him. Father, we're reminded of uh, many of our brothers and sisters who are overseas, who are in places of danger. Lord, may your hand be upon them. Strengthen them, encourage them, and bring them back home safely soon, too. Lord, tonight as we look into your word, I pray that you would bless it. Speak to us. Encourage us, Lord. Warn us. Comfort us, bring us back, save us. In Jesus' name, amen. Exodus chapter 20 tonight. There's a very important list in Exodus chapter 20. What do you think it is? The Ten Commandments. Someone has suggested that we have 30 million laws on the books to enforce the Ten Commandments. And I would agree with the premise of that statement. The Ten Commandments defines and summarizes the moral standards that the Lord expects of every single human being. And each command can be applied into every single area of our lives. So it's very, very important that we understand the Ten Commandments. And it's also extremely important important that we take these commandments seriously. God certainly takes these commandments seriously. Look what we read in verse 1 of Exodus 20. It says, and God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Remember that God himself spoke these words to the children of Israel. God didn't give this to Moses, who then conveyed the message. God spoke, and it was a very scary setting, a very serious scene, if you remember. The children of Israel were camped at the foot of Mount Sinai. The glory of God came and descended upon that mountain. The mountain was on fire. It was like a furnace. 
It's covered in clouds, lightning, thundering. The mountain is shaking. It's an earthquake. And God is speaking to the people down below. It was terrifying. In fact, if you remember, the people eventually went to Moses and said, Hey, Moses, can you have God speak to you and then you speak to us? His voice is scaring us. So the whole atmosphere of the Ten Commandments is solemnness. It is serious. I mean, this is God's top ten list, right? These commandments are written in stone. These are not the ten suggestions. They're the Ten Commandments. And notice that before God gives them the Ten Commandments, he gives them the proper motivation as to why they should obey it. In verse 2, he says to them, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. In other words, listen, I'm God, I'm in charge. Here are the commandments. You are to keep them because I, as God, have given them to you. And notice he also says, and remember that I've been good to you. I am the God who delivered you out of Egypt. I've done great things. I freed you. Now, you know that about me. So, obey my commandments. And that is still the motivation for us as Christians in Obeying the commandments of the Lord. Listen, we're to obey these commandments because God gave them. Amen? These aren't the commandments of man. It's the commandments of God. And think how good God has been to us. He's redeemed us from bondage to sin. Now, we could certainly never repay All that back to the Lord, his goodness to us. But we can certainly have hearts that want to please him. And obey him. And take these commandments seriously. So, very important. Let's look at them. Commandment number one, verse three. You shall have no other gods before me. The number one commandment. Top of the list. You shall have no other gods before me. God says, I will be your one and only God. You will not allow anyone or anything. To take my place. Number one commandment. God is to be absolutely, completely, totally first place. In our lives. At all times. We are to worship him and him alone. We're not to allow any thing to replace him. You shall have no other gods before me. Look at the second commandment. Verse 4. Read this carefully. It's pretty clear. 
You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. So, very clear. No idols. No images. No statues. No icons, no religious relics, no crucifixes, no symbol. We are not to bow down before images. Second commandment in the Bible. Second of The Ten Commandments. Now let's understand that, let's make sure that we understand this clearly. This isn't God saying you can't appreciate art. This isn't God saying no statues for artistic means, no sculptures, no paintings. He's not saying anything against art. In fact, Later on, we'll read about how they designed the tabernacle, and they'll even design angels and cherubim as decoration into the temple, as as ornaments into the tabernacle system. So this isn't against art. What he's saying is, do not make any image out of wood, metal, gold, or any other material with the intention of worshiping that as God. Don't make any image of anything in creation. No image of a bird or an animal or a person or a fish or a mountain. Anything like that with the intention of worshiping that is God. Bowing down before that is God. So this commandment, I believe, is very clear. We are not to bow down, obviously, before any image that would represent a false deity. And we are also not to bow down before any image that even supposedly represents the one true living God. No images. And why are we to obey that command? Because God said so. Amen. Daddy said so. And also think about it. Any man-made image of God. How can that capture the glory of God? It's impossible, right? I mean, if you bow down before an image that supposedly represents God, aren't you bringing God down to a level where he's not? This is the protection of God's glory, his majesty. No idols, no images. 
Now you notice with this commandment, the second commandment, and I think it's also with coupled with the first commandment, that this has consequences to future generations, doesn't it? What the Lord is saying here is, if you become a nation of idolatry, if you become a nation that has other gods before me, then you're going to introduce corruption into your nation that's going to grow stronger and stronger and stronger with every generation. And eventually a generation is going to forget me and hate me, and that generation will be judged. On the other hand, if you obey these commands by keeping me number one, not bowing down before images, then you're going to keep your generation healthy, and you're going to promote health from generation to generation to generation. Important. Important commands. Commandment number three, verse seven. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Do not take the name of God in vain. Do not make it an empty name. Honor the name of God. Reverence the name of God. Now, this commandment, I believe, has three meanings to it. First, this would tell us not to engage in profanity. That's how most people understand this. Don't cuss. Don't use the name of God in a cussing way. And I got to tell you, as a Christian, it grieves me when I hear people do that. Doesn't that hurt? When you hear people out there using God's name in a profane way. One of the things that grieves me the most is how people take the name of Jesus and turn that into a cuss word. Terrible. And, you know, I've always wondered, why don't people do that with other names? Why is it that they only do that with Jesus? Why don't we hear people go, oh, Buddha. Oh, Mohammed. Oh, Dalai Lama. I'll tell you why, because those are all false gods. Only the enemy would attack the one genuine, true living God. So, profanity. Now, this has another meaning to it. I think it can also mean to use the name of God flippantly. Irreverently. And do you realize that many Christians can be more guilty of that than profanity? The idea of using the name of the Lord and doing it real flippantly. You know, the... The mindset that refers to God is the man upstairs. Oh, the good Lord. Me and my buddy God. We're to honor his name. You don't use his name flippantly. It's like reverence. 
And then there's a third meaning. This could be speaking about hypocrisy. Do you realize as Christians that we've taken the name of Christ? Haven't we? We've taken the name of Christ upon our lives. We are Christians. Ambassadors for Christ. Now, to take his name and then go out into the world and live in utter rebellion... In downright disobedience, making a train wreck of your life and somebody else's life, dragging the name of Christ through the mud. That's taking the Lord's name in vain. So do not take the Lord's name in vain. That's number three. Okay, let's look at commandment number four. Verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Okay, this is the Sabbath day law. The nation of Israel was commanded to work six days, And then to sanctify or set apart the seventh day, to do no work, to rest on that day, and to worship the Lord on that day. Six days you work, on the seventh day you rest. And this was the pattern that God established in creation. He created all things in how many days? Six day, and on the seventh day he rested. So this is the Sabbath day law that applies to the nation of Israel, which, by the way, they still keep to this day. The Sabbath day begins on Friday at sundown and concludes on Saturday at sundown. If you go to Israel, everything shuts down. By the way, probably the most happening night in Israel is Saturday night. After the sun goes down. The Sabbath is over. Everything opens and you see everybody go out on the town. The Sabbath is over. So this is a commandment for the nation of Israel. It's one that they've kept. It's one they continue to keep. Do we have to keep this commandment? This is the only commandment in the Ten Commandments that is not reiterated in the New Testament. And the New Testament actually makes it very clear. We are not obligated to keep the Sabbath today as Christians. This was for the nation of Israel, for the Old Testament. So no, we are not supposed, we're not commanded to keep the Sabbath day. However, I think we should consider the principle. What's the principle behind this commandment? Well, we should be hard workers. 
We should work six days a week. Some people think you rest six days and work one day. No, we are to work six days a week. There's plenty of work to do. Your nine-to-five job, Monday through Friday, and then all your honeydews in the backyard on Saturday. We're to work. And then we should rest. I think we should do this principle. Take one day every week and rest. Hang out with your family. Enjoy time together. Turn off the laptop. Worship the Lord. It's a wonderful principle that I think does carry on. Okay. Commandment number five. Look at verse 12. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Honor your parents, a commandment of God. Top ten. Honor and respect your parents. Now, if you are a minor, dependent upon mom and dad, living in the home, to honor them means to obey them. You are to obey your parents. Respect your parents. Listen to your parents. For most of us here tonight who are independent adults, we are still to honor our parents if they're still alive. That doesn't mean you have to obey them. But it certainly does mean that you should respect them. You should include them. You should care for them in their old age. Now here we see God telling us what a healthy family unit looks like. Parents instructing their kids and kids obeying and respecting their parents. The authority structure of the home. Honor your parents. And by the way, there's a promise associated with this. It says that if you honor your parents, um, you'll live longer upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Now, that is what you would call a truism. It's not true in every case. The idea is God is saying those who obey their parents and honor their parents are most likely to live longer, (laughs) more fruitful lives than those who don't. And that makes sense. If you got a kid who keeps disobeying his parents about playing out in the street, what's going to happen to that kid eventually? Parents are put there in our lives to instruct us, to help us to learn from their experiences. 
so that we avoid mistakes. So honor your parents. Now there's another interesting interpretation here that God is giving this promise to the nation of Israel corporately. And what the Lord is saying to Israel is, if the norm of your society, your nation, is that of obedient, respectful children, then your culture's healthy and it's going to last. If the norm of your nation is that of disobedient, disrespectful, rebellious kids, that's the sign of a nation gone south. That's a very interesting interpretation. How do you think America's doing in that regard? Is our culture known for obedient, respectful teenagers? Godly youth? Paul tells us something kind of interesting in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He says, Know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, Boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. Do you realize that as we approach the last days, one of the characteristics of last day living is a culture of disobedient kids? Kind of scary. Mom, dad, teach your children obedience. Kids, obey your parents. Okay, let's turn the corner. Commandment number six, verse 13. You shall not what? Murder. You shall not murder. We are to value every single human life. We are not to take human lives. All people are created in the image of God. And we're to value them. Okay. Now, we need to have clarification here. It's important to understand this. If you have an old King James, this commandment will read, Thou shalt not kill. Okay, now that's very general, and that would give you the impression that there is no killing of a human life under any circumstance, and if you do that, then you've broken the Ten Commandments, you've sinned. It's more accurately translated as it is here in the New King James and other versions. You shall not murder. In other words, you shall not take another person's life unlawfully or without moral justification. Okay. When does that happen? Well, let's think about some things. How about capital punishment? 
Now, I know that some of you won't like this, but the Bible does clearly teach that capital punishment is to be exercised. The Bible says if you take a life, you should pay the price with the loss of your life. And the idea is the person's life that you took is so valuable. You should pay with your life. And the Lord put capital punishment in place way back in Genesis chapter 9, after the flood, to Noah, pre-Mosaic law. All right, how about war? How about military? If we're in a fight with another country, World War II, those who went and killed German soldiers, did they break the Ten Commandments? No, it's morally justified. You see in Scripture. By the way, getting back to the capital punishment, that does not say that vigilantes, you know what I'm trying to say, that you can go out and be a vigilante. No revenge killing. Capital punishment must be carried out under due process of law according to governmental authorities that have been put in place by God. Okay, but that case, how about war? How about if somebody breaks into your house? Going to steal from you or rape your wife? Or come after you with a gun to murder you? Self-defense. Morally justified. So the commandment is, thou shalt not murder. By the way, where would abortion fit? In this whole thing. Well, it's, it's legal in our country. No, it's the unlawful taking of a potential human life. A human life, not just a potential, a human life. How about euthanasia? No, we should value life. We should protect life. Do not murder. Okay, commandment number seven. Verse 14, you shall not commit adultery. Does anybody need that explained? You shall not have extramarital sex. You shall not have an affair. You shall not cheat on your spouse. You should be faithful to your spouse for your entire life. I love the story about a boy who was studying the Ten Commandments in Sunday school, and he didn't quite understand this. He came home and he said, Daddy, what does it mean when it says, Thou shalt not commit agriculture? (laughs) And his dad responded without missing a beat, Son, that just means that you're not supposed to plow the other man's field. And everybody understood. 
Very serious commandment. This is God saying that the marriage relationship is important. It's your top priority. You protect the marriage. You protect your children. You protect your home. Now I realize that society glamorizes affairs. TV programs glorify it. Movies glorify it. Listen. An adulterous affair can destroy your marriage. Your family. Your home. Now, I want us to understand the heart of God as we go through these commandments. You know why God gives us these commandments? Because he loves us. He wants our lives safe, guarded. He wants our lives to be fruitful, healthy, strong. These commandments are for our benefit. All right. Commandment number eight, verse 15. You shall not what? Don't be a thief. Don't take things that don't belong to you. Now, I find it interesting here that the Bible recognizes the right of personal property. Private property. That we have the right to own things. And we should expect others to respect what we own. And we should respect the property of others. Don't steal from people. Don't steal people's money. Don't steal their cars. Don't steal their TV sets. I think this command would also apply to the intangibles. Don't steal time from your boss at work. Don't pretend like you're working when you're actually watching March Madness all day on your cell phone. Don't call in sick when you're not. You're ripping your boss off. Don't steal services. I actually had a neighbor once and he had tapped into our cable box. And he was ripping off cable service from the cable company. Employers pay the employees what they deserve. Don't rip people off. Don't steal. Verse 16, commandment number 9. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Do not lie. Tell the truth. Now, this almost sounds formal, like it's a court, right? Don't bear witness. 
Don't bear false witness against your neighbor. And that would certainly be true. Don't lie in court. Don't commit perjury, right? But it's also informally in the normal highways and byways of life. Be a man of truth. Be a woman of truth. Tell the truth. Don't lie. There's other applications to this commandment. Don't slander people's names. Don't make up stories about people. Don't gossip. Be very careful when you're relaying stories about other people. You know, when we do that, we all have a tendency to make it juicier than it really is. It's been said that a gossip usually makes a mountain out of a molehill by adding some dirt. Don't gossip. Don't lie. Don't slander. You know, you can also lie by remaining silent. If you remain silent in a situation where you know the truth, but you don't tell the truth, don't lie. And then number 10, verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. Don't look at another person's life and start to play comparing games and getting jealous of some other person's life. Or you begin to look at another person and you crave what they have. That's what this word covet means in the Hebrew. It literally means to pant after. To see your neighbor's car and you pant after it. Your neighbor's house, somebody's spouse. Don't covet. Now, this one is, a, is, is one that really gets to the heart, doesn't it? This is a heart issue. And by the way, if you break this commandment, you're probably going to break one of the other commandments. Think about it, they sort of go hand in hand. If you covet somebody's money, you might steal their money. If you covet somebody's spouse, you may commit adultery. If you covet somebody else's reputation, well, then you might be tempted to gossip about their reputation. Bring them down to make you look a little better. Thou shalt not covet. Brother and sister in Christ, we need to learn to be content. Amen. Be content. And really, crave God. 
Desire God. Psalm 42 says, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. Pant after the Lord. Seek him. Find all your happiness and satisfaction in God. All right, the Ten Commandments. Let me make a couple observations about the Ten Commandments. I want you to notice the order. And I want you to notice that there's two divisions to the Ten Commandments. You notice how the first four commandments speak of a relationship with whom? It's God, it's vertical, right? And then the remaining six are horizontal. They speak about your relationship with other people. Now, I personally believe that that order there has been put there by design. I think that um, what this is saying is that if you will really focus and hone in on those first four, your relationship with God, then the other six will fall into place. In other words, if your vertical relationship with God is where it needs to be, is where it needs to be if, it's, if it's healthy, if it's strong, if he is your God, there's no other gods before him in your life. You honor his name. You're seeking him. that that will bleed into your other relationships. The horizontal relationships, they'll be healthy. If your vertical relationship with God is not healthy, then your horizontal relationships will not be healthy as well. I really believe that that's how we should approach the Ten Commandments. We should not approach the Ten Commandments by trying so hard to keep the last six. We should rather approach it by trying really hard to keep the first four. Honor God. Be obsessed with God. Love God. In fact, do you remember that time in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 22 when a lawyer came up to Jesus and said, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Do you remember that? What's the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus. And you remember what Jesus said? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. First four commandments. Love God with all your heart, your mind, your strength, your soul. He went on to say, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
And then he said, on these two commandments, hang all the law and the prophets. Do you see the two divisions? Love God first. And then love others. And if you love God first. You're going to be able to love others. More effectively. Keep God. First. Have no other gods before him. Okay. Another observation about the Ten Commandments. They're beautiful, aren't they? Does everyone here agree with them? They're right. They're proper. They're decent. But I have bad news for you. You've broken the Ten Commandments. And so have I. We have all broken the Ten Commandments. And I would even go further. We've all broken all ten of the commandments. Have you ever heard somebody said, I'm going to go to heaven when I die. I live a good life. I live according to the Ten Commandments. Really? So you've kept the Ten Commandments perfectly all your life. All right, let's just sort of go down the list. So you're telling me that you've kept God first place in your life at all times. You've never allowed anything to take the place of God in your life. Really? Your whole life. You've never worshipped any man-made object more than God. You never worshipped a car more than God. You've never cussed. Not once. Never ever said the Lord's name in vain. Not once in your life. Here's a great one. You never disobeyed your parents. Growing up, you were the perfect angel. I'd like to talk to your parent and find out the truth. We've all broken that one. You've never stole anything ever in your entire life. You've never called in sick when you're not. You never took a piece of candy from your brother or sister's trick-or-treat bag. Busted, right? Ever taken office supplies home from work for personal use? Just saying. We've broken that commandment. Never lied. Never once told a lie. Always the truth. 
spot on. Never coveted anything. Never looked at anybody else and said, man, I wish I had that guy's stuff. We've broken all those commandments. Okay, some of you are saying, well, I haven't murdered anybody. (laughs) Oh, yeah? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. Whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. You may not have ever murdered somebody. But in the New Testament, Jesus said, if you've hated somebody with an anger like that, you've committed murder in your heart. Now, that's another funny one. I've, I've, I've heard people say, I'm a good person. I live according to the Sermon on the Mount. Really? Okay. I've never committed adultery. I've never cheated on my spouse. I've never had an affair. You have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. We've broken every commandment. By the way, James tells us very clearly that if you have broken the law at even one point, you are guilty of breaking all of it. The law, the Ten Commandments, it does give us the guideline. This is what God expects, but it's also a mirror. Did you understand that? The law is a mirror. God gave us the law so that it would be a mirror, so that we would look into the mirror and see, ooh, I've broken the law. I've broken it. And so, as I spoke about a couple weeks ago, the law was given to show us that we can't keep the law. And it was specifically given to drive us to a Savior. We've all broken the Ten Commandments. And you know what the scripture says? The wages of sin is death. And we are guilty as charged. God is holy and just. He's given us this law. He expects that of it. And he he expects perfect conformity. But we've blown it. We're sinners. We've fallen. We have no hope of keeping the law. Perfectly. 
We could never be good enough. The law was given to make that abundantly clear. But God sent his son to die for us lawbreakers. Scripture says that Jesus came and he did live the perfect life and he completely fulfilled the law. Perfectly. And as the innocent, sinless, spotless Lamb of God, he went to the cross and took our sins upon him and died in our place and rose again the third day so that we can be forgiven of our sins. So that lawbreakers can be considered righteous in the eyes of God. Isn't that beautiful? This is the point that you see made over and over and over and over in the scripture. God is perfect. God is holy. We are so not. And we are separated as a result. But God has made the solution. God has made it available for us to be forgiven, to have our sins forgiven, to become children of God. If you place your faith in Christ, your sins will be forgiven and you'll become a child of God. And by the way, when you become a Christian, you are born again and you are filled with the Holy Spirit and you are able to keep the law. In a much more effective way than you were able to do so before. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to keep the Ten Commandments. Let's close right there. Let's all bow our heads. Lord, I do pray, as we said earlier, Lord, that we would see your heart in this passage. We would see, Lord, that you have given these commandments as boundaries for our safety, for our health, for the fruitfulness of our lives individually, as families, as a community, as a church. And so as your people, Lord, we welcome these commandments. We desire to please you. Lord, for those who belong to you tonight and yet have have walked away in rebellion, I pray that you would bring them back. Recover the time that's been lost. Redeem the time. Lord, I pray that as your people, truly, deep down in our, in our hearts, it would be our passion to know you and love you. That you would be first place daily. 
that we would find satisfaction and contentment in you. That we never let go of that. And that the health from that would flow into all of our other relationships. Lord, we need your spirit to help us. And then, Lord, I'd like to pray for anyone here tonight who has never been forgiven. You might be here tonight and you say, well, you know, I feel real guilty. Well, you should. Whenever you look at the Ten Commandments, you should feel guilty because we haven't kept them. But you don't have to walk away here tonight guilty. You can walk away tonight forgiven. Knowing that Christ has paid the price for you. All have sinned and fallen short from the glory of God. But the price has been paid. Your sins can be forgiven. I want to invite you to receive Jesus right now. He died for you. He rose again. He's alive as we just celebrated this last weekend. If you ask him to be your savior, he'll be your savior. He'll wash away your sins. He'll make you a child in his family. A citizen of his kingdom. Saved, redeemed. Perfect in the eyes of a holy God. So pray this prayer with me if you've never done so. Say, Lord, Lord Jesus, I humble myself before you. I recognize my guilt. I recognize how far I fall short. Forgive me, Lord. Wash away my sins. Thank you for paying the price for my sins. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Be my Lord, be my Savior. Fill me with your spirit. And help me to live. Really live. For you. Lord, I pray that for all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. Let's close.